0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here today. We are really glad to see you as we get this new year started off right. How many of you have already given up on your New Year's resolution? Three of you? For a weekend. Anybody else uh, love the cedar this time of year? Welcome to Central Texas, right? Happy New Year to everybody. I thought we'd start off this morning with a little bit of of a verbal survey and so you can just answer out loud. Uh, Or you can just answer to the person next to you or shout it out. I don't really care. Um, Here we go. Tex-Mex or barbecue? Barbecue. It's a tough one, right? It's a tough one. Uh, Mountains or the beach? Again, mixed results. A good book or a good movie? Um, A good pair of boots or some good tennis shoes? Dave or Austin? I'm just kidding. Don't, don't answer that one. Don't answer that one. I'm just kidding. Let me tell you why all of those are really bad questions, right? They're bad questions because of the or, right? Like if I were to say, how about Tex-Mex and barbecue? Now we're talking, right? Like, amen, praise Jesus, preach, right? Like that's, that's good stuff right there. Uh, mountains and the beach. I like, I like both sometimes, right? Uh, you know, I like a good book. I also like a really good movie. I like a good pair of boots. I also like some really comfortable tennis shoes. And here at the Vista, you don't get Dave or Austin. You get Dave and Austin. And if you don't like one of us, just give it a week. The other one will be up here <laughs> and uh, you can hear the other one, right? It's, it's fine. It's the way we roll. We're starting a new series today called And. And we're going to be talking about some some things that sometimes culture wants us to pick or choose between some different options. But we think when it comes to certain things in matters of faith and practice, the end is going to be better. I was thinking about the series this week and kind of thinking about an illustration and I, 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 I was brought back to my, my childhood days. I was raised in a pretty traditional uh, Southern Baptist church. And in the Southern Baptist church, uh, we would have these things every now and then called potluck lunches. Anybody else have your, your, your traditional church potluck lunches? Now, I had a love-hate relationship with the old potluck, right? So first of all, you had to get through the line of all the casseroles, right, where people just take stuff out of their fridge, throw it in a dish, warm it up, and call it a meal, right? Like, I'm not a big fan of that, personally. But then if you could get through all that stuff, you got to what every kid's favorite part of the potluck was, the dessert table, right? Oh, man dessert table. And so at the dessert table, they would have banana pudding and pie and cake and cookies and brownies. It was just like, I mean, I could hear angels singing when I would get to the dessert table, right? It was amazing. And my mom would always say like, okay, do you want, do you want banana pudding or, or do you want cake or do you want cookies or do you want pie or do you want, right? And, and every, no, no kid at the dessert table wants to hear or do they? I'm at the dessert table and I'm like, I want banana pudding and cake and cookies and brownies and pie. And I want a little bit of everything. Here's the big idea, right? Um, Or is about limits and is about possibilities, right? And is about possibilities and is just better. And so over the next several weeks, Austin and I are going to be kind of unpacking um, some things where we think if we will choose the and instead of the or, that it will actually be better for our spiritual lives and our spiritual journey. We'll live lives actually that are much more balanced, much more healthy, much more holy, uh, much more joyful if we'll pick the and instead of the or. And when we choose and a lot of times we have to understand there's going to be a certain degree of tension that we've gotta learn to walk in. But again, rather than running from the tension or trying to eliminate the tension, it's healthy sometimes to walk in and live in the tension. And so I wanted to start this morning by what I believe is probably one of um, the more obvious ands in all of Scripture. And yet sometimes we live as if it's as if it's an or. And some people want to sort of pit these things against one another. um, But I hope to show that that and is better, that they actually go hand in hand. And so that that is the subject of faith and works, faith and works works. Again, some people want to put these things as opposites. They want to say, look, your salvation is either going to be about your faith, what you believe, what you trust in, or it's going to be about what you actually do and the way you actually live your life. And so some people will say, it's got to be one or the other. It cannot be both. And then they'll look in scripture like we're going to do here in just a minute. And they'll put the works of the apostle Paul sort of against the works of Jesus's uh, half brother, a guy named James, who became a pastor. And they'll say, "See, uh, contradict." They contradict one another. There's even people that really are trying to refute God's word that'll point to this specific issue and say, "See, contradictory messages in the Bible. Faith and works—they don't go together." And again, my hope is to show you today that faith and works are not opposites; they do not contradict. They actually complement one another. And if we can live with the "and," it'll be will be much more healthy, much more holy, and living the lives that God. Um, wants us to live. And so the question we must ask ourselves today, the primary question today is, is our salvation, is our spiritual lives and our spiritual journey, is it primarily or solely about our faith, what we believe, both individually and corporately, or is it about what we actually do, what comes out of our lives, um, the works that we, actually, that we actually do? And so to get us started, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around a bit. I want to look at a lot of different verses. Um, And and we're going to throw them up here on the screen. You can can follow along. If I'm moving too quickly for the sake of time, you can jot them down if you want and look at them later. But we'll start with the Apostle Paul, okay? The Apostle Paul had a lot to say, particularly about faith, about faith. And so uh, Romans 1, verse 17. Paul writes this in the first chapter of Romans. For in it, that's he's talking about the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. One page over in Romans 3, verse 28, Paul writes, for we hold that one um, is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Seems pretty clear. Faith apart from works of the law. One page over in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord, Jesus Christ. We could go on through other places in Romans, but we'll move over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, also written by the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul writes, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ And not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Over in verse 11 of the same chapter, he writes, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. And then in verses 24 to 26, wrapping up this chapter, he says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by Faith, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And then probably what is the most popular of these passages is over in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, the apostle writes these very popular words where he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one can boast. We could go on and on and look at a lot of different uh, passages that Paul wrote. Paul wrote a lot of our New Testament. He wrote a lot of letters to churches. And it seems like in every letter that Paul writes, he is this drumbeat, right? It is, is, it is the big E on the I chart for the apostle Paul that uh, the gospel is not about what you do for God. It is what God does for you. The gospel is not about, you know, you trying to be good enough, trying to measure up, trying to earn God's favor, trying to check a list of religious activities in hope that God will find favor with you. Uh, Paul's writing going, no, it's not about that stuff. You cannot earn your way to God. It is all about what God has done for you. And so it is by grace that you have been saved and that salvation comes by our faith in the finished work of God of Jesus. That is Paul's drumbeat. That is, that is every letter he writes. That's when he talks about the gospel. That is what Paul is addressing. That you cannot earn your salvation. It is not about works. It is all about faith in the finished work of Jesus. Okay. That's, that's Paul. But then we flip over to James towards the end of the new Testament. There's this small little book back there written again by Jesus's half brother who became a pastor and his name was James. And he writes In James chapter two, he has sort of a a section there that is all about works. And at first glance, it can seem that he's writing a rather contradictory message to what Paul has written. And so we'll read this, James chapter two, beginning in verse 14. James writes this, "'Well, what good is it, my brothers, "'if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? "'Can that faith save him?' If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, well, go in peace and be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, well, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith. I have works. Again, some will say faith or works, one or the other. And he says, Will you show me your faith apart from your works, And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And then he gives a couple of examples here. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was acting along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone and then he gives another example and in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead." And so again, some people want to say, well, Paul is all about faith. And it seems like James then is saying, no, 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 faith isn't enough. You got to have some works. And so James's big idea here is this, that, that faith, if your faith is nothing more than sort of a cognitive knowledge of who God is and even a mental sort of assent to, to the, the, the work of Jesus, that that in and of itself, if it doesn't translate into kind of what you do and how you live your life and the choices you make and how you spend your money and all of that stuff, then, then that kind of faith is not real. That's what James would say. In fact, he goes as far, I love the illustration in here, he's like, wait, you believe in God well, great, so do the demons, right? So do the demons. I could, I could point you to a few verses really quick. When Jesus, uh, back in the Gospels, in Mark chapter 1, in Mark chapter 1, verse 34, he's talking about Jesus and it says, and he, that's Jesus, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak. Why? Because they knew him. They knew him. Um, over in Luke's Gospel, in Luke, chapter 4, verses 33 and 34. It says, and in the synagogue, there was a man who had the the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, ha! I I don't know why that's funny to me, but the demon's like, ha! Right? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then look what he says next. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, so James is simply pointing out that like if your faith is just you cognitively believing some stuff about God and believing some things about Jesus, he's like, congratulations, you've reached the bar of the demons, right? You're equal with the demons because even the demons believe in that sense. They have the same belief. They believe in God. They know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus has done. The difference is they don't submit their lives to him. They don't walk in obedience to him. So it's, it's possible to have a faith that is all up here and believe all the right stuff, but yet it, it really not make a difference um, in the way you live your life and the choices you make and not really submit to the lordship of Jesus. That's James's big idea. And so what I hope to show you, listen, some people wanna say, see, Paul and James, they contradict. Faith and works contradict. Uh, they don't go together. And I wanna kind of show you that two really big reasons why they do not contradict. These things don't contradict. They actually complement one another, okay? Here's the first thing. The first reason that James and Paul do not contradict one another is that context matters. Context matters. One of the first rules of Bible interpretation is that before we can come to a text and say, let's just see what this passage says to me. Okay, that's not a bad question to ask when you're reading the Bible. It's good to ask, what does God wanna to say to me through, the, through his word? That's a good thing to ask. But before we can ask the question, what does this passage mean to me or what does it say to me? We need to ask, well, what did it mean to the people that it was originally written to? Like, how, how did they hear it? Um, why was it actually written to them in the first place? Okay, and sometimes we do the, op- we, we, we read a passage and we solely focus in on what does it mean for me right now in my life? And listen, that's where some really bad Bible interpretation can come from. Because Paul didn't write these letters with us here in Central Texas in the year 2023 in mind, right? And so context absolutely matters. And what you need to understand is that James and Paul, they're writing to different churches um, for different, to address very different reasons, They're writing to address very different reads. So, for example, Paul is writing to Jews and Gentiles that have been steeped in this religious system that was all about works. It was all about obeying the rules, the laws, in order to earn your standing and your favor with God. There were over 600 laws in the Old Testament and these, these uh, uh, Jewish people were coming out of this and then telling, again, Gentiles that, man, you, you guys got to measure up. You got to check the religious boxes. You got to do all these things. And so your favor with God, your standing with God was based on how well you kept the law. And if you couldn't keep the law very good, which we can't, right, then what happens is we're like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I never measure up. And that sounds crazy, but we do the same thing today, don't we? Like some people, we sort of live our lives. They have this idea, and this is where a lot of, a lot of world religions are. It, it is basically this idea that God is the judge ultimately, and that one day we're going to stand before God as the judge, and there's going to be these scales, right? And, and hopefully, if we can do enough good stuff, the good stuff will be on one side, and then all the bad stuff over here. And our hope is that the good stuff we do outweighs the bad stuff we do, so that God will go... All right, congratulations, you made it, right? But if the bad stuff and the sin and all the, the, the thoughts and all the stuff that's really bad, if it outweighs the good stuff, then we're in a lot of trouble, right? That's the way some people believe. That's the way a lot of world religions are set up. You have to do certain things to appease God in order to earn favor with God. But the gospel is different because the gospel is about the fact that you and I can't be good enough. Like our bad stuff is always gonna outweigh our good stuff. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. And if I told you the rags he was talking about, it would gross some of you out, right? That our, the best we can muster is still going to leave us woefully short of God. And so this idea that we can somehow be good enough and earn favor with God and just try our best, I mean, how's that going for you, right? Like we all, we all sin, we're all sinners, we, 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 we sin by nature and we sin by choice. We can't be good enough to earn our favor with God. And so Paul's writing to people that if that's what they've heard their whole lives is do the law, obey the law, obey the law, obey the law. And there's all these people going, I can't seem to obey the law. And he's writing going, yeah, you can't. In fact, that's part of why the law was given, to show you that you can't and that you need a savior. Right? So Jesus comes and he lives a sinless life. He fulfills the law that we could never fulfill. And then ultimately, as a sinless sacrifice, he goes to the cross and he gives up his life on the cross in our place. He pays the penalty for our sin because we couldn't be good enough, but Jesus was good enough. And he dies on the cross in our place for our sin. And Paul's writing, all of his letters are like, guys, stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to earn your way to God. Stop trying to obey all the rules. That's not how you get in the club, right? It's about belief in the finished work of Jesus. That's, that's Paul's drumbeat. That's who he's writing to. Now James is writing to second and third generation Christians. Um, many scholars believe he's writing specifically to a group of Jewish Christians that had swung hard the other way. They had basically gone, oh, it's grace and faith. Well, then we don't have to do anything. Isn't that awesome? Like, and, and specifically in James' context, he's basically uh, pointing out how they're not even meeting basic needs of the poor. They're not even, they're not living any kind of mission or purpose. There's like poor and hungry and the orphan and the widow, and they're just ignoring them all the while going, well, we believe the right stuff. We don't, gotta do, we don't have to meet needs and do stuff, we just believe the right things. And so James is in context writing to some lazy, complacent Christians who believe the right things about God, but it's making no difference in the way they live their lives, the choices they make, and the way they spend their money. So James is writing his context and the, the point and the purpose of his writing is a little bit different than what Paul was writing to, okay? Context matters. And so if you flip over and you just kind of read James, a plain reading of James, you might think, well, gosh, I got to do a lot of stuff to earn my salvation. But you got to understand why he's writing as a good pastor. He's addressing some specific laziness in his church among people that profess to be Christians. And Paul's writing to people that are steeped in a Jewish system of rules and laws, thinking that that is going to earn their way to heaven. Context matters. The second thing I would say, and kind of goes along with this, but when you think about our spiritual life, our salvation in particular, um, it is about the work God does for us, it's about the work God does in us, and it's about the work God does through us, okay? It's kind of three things, what God does for us, then what God does in us, and then what God does through us, and the order is important, okay? The order is important, because if, if you get them out of order, uh, then, we, then we have a problem, Salvation for you and me is first and foremost, it's about the work God has done for us. That's what Paul's primarily writing about. Again, Jesus comes to earth, lives a sinless life, goes to a cross, gives up his life on that cross in our place for our sin. That is is God's grace. We don't deserve that. We didn't earn that. Um, God does that out of the goodness of God's heart for us. Salvation is first and foremost about belief in what God has done for us. Well, now you take what God's done for us and that ought to make a difference in us, right? God is hopefully doing a work in us. And what that means is that, you know, when we believe in what God has done, that there ought to be some change that starts to take place. That our desires are a little bit different. The things we used to pursue or maybe, maybe look a little different, Right? Our appetites begin to change. The Bible says that we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And it doesn't mean we're perfect. And it doesn't mean we're never gonna sin or we're never gonna make a mistake or we're never gonna fail, okay? But it means that God's doing something inside of us and it's, it's changing us. It's changing who we are. And then as a result of being changed and the work God is doing in us, then there's work that God wants to do through us. The work that God wants to do through us, the Bible's gonna call that our fruit, the fruit of our lives, Okay? The actions. And here's the thing. God doesn't need our actions. You know who does need our actions? Our neighbor, right? Like the people God places around us. Our faith is internal. It's what God sees. Our actions are the things that people see. Things that people see. And so when I mention that there, Paul and James are essentially emphasizing different aspects of our spiritual journey. Paul is emphasizing the work that God has done for us and then In light of that, what happens in us? James comes along and he is emphasizing, look, if there's something taking place in you, if it's genuine salvation, then it ought to result in what God then does through you. And he's not, listen, I'm not anyone's final judge. James and Paul aren't anyone's final judge. That is up to God to be the final judge. But I think James is simply asking the question, like, if there's nothing being done through you, if there's nothing, like, you know, empathy for others, no love for others, there's no change in your lifestyle, no change in your desires. If there's no movement, then you at least have reason to question whether your salvation is actually genuine or not. If you say, look, I believe in God and I believe Jesus but there's just nothing happening like you don't care about other people at all, I think the the question is you have at least reason to go, is that kind of faith actually real? That's what James is trying to get you to ask. And so they're emphasizing two different parts of our spiritual journey. What God does for us and in us and then what what God does in us and through us. And here's the thing as I thought about this message today, I thought about the fact that In a church our size, and really probably in all churches, there are people that are still in both of these camps that probably need to hear some different messages today. Like some of you here, man, you need to hear the words of Paul. Some of you here, maybe like me, you were raised in church, here's all the rules, you know, obey all the rules, do all the right stuff. And you've kind of been trying to live like this checklist of all the stuff God wants from me. And it is wearing you out, right? It's wearing you out. Because you're trying to be good enough, but you just realize, I can't seem to ever get it right. And you're trying to earn favor and standing and be good enough. And I just need you to hear the words of Paul today that say, listen, stop striving and stop doing. You're not going to earn favor with God. Christ died for you on the cross. He loves you as his child. Rest in the fact that God is your father and that you are his child. Like some of you need to stop striving you need to hear the words of Paul say, it's by faith, stop trying so hard. And I also think there's probably some others of you, let's be honest in here, that, man, you believe all the right things about God. You believe all the right things about Jesus. You've got the cognitive knowledge and the mental assent. You've heard it your whole life. But, man, you're just, you're just at a place where you've kind of grown comfortable, complacent, maybe even lazy in your spiritual journey and walk. There's just no movement there. And so for you, my hope and my prayer is that you would hear the words of James. The words of James that say, great, you believe the right things, that's awesome, that's great. Now let that change you and and, and let's let's get to work, right? Let's live life on purpose and on mission. Let's love our neighbor and love the people God places around us. Let's let that change the way we behave and the way we act and the, the desires of our heart. I think that we probably need to hear some different things. And so I believe some of us need to hear the words of Paul, some of us need to hear the words of James. You might say it like this, Christian faith ultimately is about trusting what God has done for you first, and then works is the evidence of what God is doing in you. Okay? I'll say that again. Christian faith is about trusting what God has done for you, and then works is the evidence of what God is doing in you. And so we've looked at the, wor- the words of Paul, and we've looked at the words of James. I wanted to end by quickly looking at the words of Jesus. At the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is sort of wrapping up um, what is the longest sort of um, discourse that we have of of Jesus in the the beginning of Matthew. So in Matthew 7, Jesus is going to address our works here. In Matthew 7, beginning in verse 17, Jesus says this, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus you will recognize them by their fruit. So Jesus, talking about works here, is saying if you want to know if someone is real or genuine, he's saying, look, you can, you can look at the actions of their life. You can look at the fruit of their life, okay? Um, we know them as sort of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There are things, there are fruit that sort of flows out of our life when, um, when God is at work in us and changing us. Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. By their fruit. So here's the thing, we've talked about this before. Jesus does not want to be Savior or Lord. Jesus wants to be Savior and Lord. He's both. And so, Sometimes when we say, man, it's all about what Paul says. It's all about what Paul says. Faith, faith, faith. What we're saying is I want Jesus to be my savior. Faith. But James is writing going, he doesn't want to just be your savior. He also wants to be your Lord. And the work that God does in you and through you shows whether he's Lord or not. The work that God does in you and through you shows whether you have submitted yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. He doesn't want to just be savior or Lord. He's savior and Lord. To follow Christ, to be a follower of Jesus is not about faith or works, it's about our faith and our works working together, right? Let's pray together this morning. Father, today we are, we are grateful for your word, grateful that we have it here to read and to unpack and to discern together um, what you're trying to say to us. And God, I, I feel like and I know that in a, in a church like ours, in a church our size, that God, there are some people here that have been striving to do a lot of really great things for you in hopes that you will find favor with them. God, there are some people here that probably believe that, again, one day they're gonna stand before you and there's gonna be this scale and that they need their good stuff to outweigh their bad stuff. But God, I pray today that they would hear the words of the Apostle Paul, that it is by grace through faith that it is trusting in your finished work and what Jesus accomplished for us. And I pray today they would hear that and they would let that soak in and sink in in their lives and they would understand that they are children of a holy God and they would live out of that identity and they would stop trying to perform and do a lot of stuff for you and they would just know that they are already loved by you. And then God, I know that there's probably some people here today that if we're honest in a new year, man, we believe all the right things about God. We, we believe there is a God and we believe sort of cognitively that, that Jesus was real and lived and died. But, but God, the truth is for some of us, man, it, it just hasn't translated into the, into the choices we make and the way we live our lives. We've just kind of grown lazy and complacent in our faith. And there's just no movement. So God, I pray for those that are here today that are like that, that, that they would hear the words of James. The words of James, God, that says faith... If it is not accompanied by some action, it's just kind of useless. It's useless. So, Father, I pray today for whatever uh, we need to hear, that your Holy Spirit would work and move and that your word would not return void in our lives, that we would hear the message you want to say to us today about faith and works. We pray it today in Christ's name. Amen.